Thank you for tuning into the HAE Speaks podcast. This podcast is brought to you thanks to the support of the Hereditary Angioedema Association, a patient advocacy organization serving the needs of the HAE patient and caregiver community. Welcome everyone to this episode of HAE Speaks. I'm Mike with the U.S. Hereditary Angioedema Association, and I'm here today with Kayla, who's going to tell us a bit about her HAE journey. Kayla, would you like to introduce yourself? Tell us where you're from and a little bit about yourself. Hi, yeah. Um, I'm so excited to be talking with you today. Uh, My name is Kayla, and I live in Los Angeles, California, and I am 29 years old. I love to see live music and I love doing yoga. That's a very interesting combination. <laughs> so Kayla, would you like to tell us a little bit about your HAE journey? Um, how did you how did you find out that you have HAE? Yeah, so it's been an interesting journey. I'm actually was diagnosed in 2020 with HAE. So um, I'm a pretty late in life, I was diagnosed. Um, I was 26 at the time, just or just turned 27. And essentially, I had been having frequent, what I now know is stomach attacks and facial swells and hand swells throughout college is where it really started to pick up for me. And I was being told it was likely an allergy or maybe a GI issue. And I had been really for years since this started when I was 19, or at least a lot of my more frequent attacks started when I was 19. I had been going to many doctors without really any success in finding out what was wrong with me. Um, And it was starting to get pretty frustrating at first because Most of my, all of my tests really were coming back as normal. I wasn't allergic to anything. I had an endoscopy and a colonoscopy. Everything was fine. And so I was starting to feel um, really like I was at my wits end with coming to what was wrong with me initially. But uh, ultimately I, you know, I'd went to an allergist and I'd gotten negative test results. I finally messaged him after doing some research for a while and I found information about HAE on the web. Now, I think what I found was not the most accurate of information necessarily with what I know today, but it did help me ultimately come to see that I might have HAE. I had emailed him and said, I think I have this. I have almost every symptom would, would we be able to do a test? And I got a little pushback at first because, you know, this is a rare condition. But ultimately, he did run the blood tests for me and it came back that I had HAE. So we were able to move forward from there. That's very interesting that you started with an allergist. What made you seek out an allergist to try to get a diagnosis for this? Well, when I had gone and shown photos of my swells to doctors in the past, they assumed it was an allergy that was causing the swelling. So I went and got these allergy tests and 
I kind of just was, like I said, I was kind of at my wit's end and I didn't really know who to reach out to. So I figured my allergist was the most recent doctor to work with me. And he is the one who ran all those tests and he dealt with swelling. So I was like, okay, let me, let me see if he knows. And if not, he can hopefully direct me to someone who could do that test. So in my head, I was thinking swelling, HAE swells. Maybe this guy knows what he's talking about. And he definitely did. (laughs) Was he familiar with hereditary angioedema? I actually was very fortunate. I found out that he actually had treated one patient in the past who had hereditary angioedema. And he also worked under, or not under, rather, with a doctor who is now one of the researchers for HAE. Um, So he was not only familiar with it, but had a point of contact that was very familiar with it. So I, I really got lucky there with that situation. That is great news. Uh, there's actually more doctors than there are people diagnosed with HAE. So you got very fortunate finding someone who was familiar with us. Yeah, I really did. <laughs> I feel really lucky about that. Does anyone in your family share this condition? So I'm the only one in my family that I'm aware of. So I've had family members get tested. Theirs have come back negative. The explanation that I think is that I might be one of those people who had the gene mutation when I was developing as a baby, but uh, I don't know. I haven't had every single person in my family get tested, but in my immediate family, no one has it. So that's been my assumption. That's interesting. And, you know, it is possible that you're the first one in your family. Yeah. I actually didn't know that that was a possibility until really recently when I worked on the internship with the HAEA youth team. And so, you know, I'm still continuing to learn from the HAEA, which is great because as someone who's the only person in my family with it, I've essentially had to learn everything myself. And that whole experience can be pretty isolating when you're the only person who has HAE. So that's one thing I would really like to dive into more. You said that you've learned a lot on your own. Uh, because you don't have a strong family or you don't have a family history of this and you didn't know anyone else who has the condition. Um, What did you find to be most helpful in learning about the condition? Um, And what can you share with our listeners today on ways that they can learn more about HAE? Yeah, this I think ties really well to also the piece where, you know, I advocated for myself with the doctors. I think It can be very frustrating when you have something that you know is not right and you're working to figure out what that is. And I think when you're wanting to learn about this condition or find someone who works well with you and is a supportive doctor or someone who can advocate for you in this condition, I think you have to be relentless. I think I got to the point where, you know, when I I wasn't diagnosed yet, where I was becoming a little bit of obsessive about it, but I knew there was a good end result for me where if I didn't give up and I really pushed to find answers for myself, I would ultimately get to answers. I think in researching about HAE, make sure you're using reputable sources, cross-check everything that you find, 
And don't just trust one source. I think you have to make sure you're you're finding research-based information so that you're getting the most accurate information for yourself. And it does sound a little cliche, but you can't give up. You really have to push through and find those answers for yourself because as they say, health is wealth, right? So coming to that for yourself is really critical, I, I believe. And it's it's really helped me come to peace with my diagnosis as well. All right. And since being diagnosed, have you met anyone else who is also diagnosed with HAE? I have not met anyone in person. I have been connected through the HAEA, the youth internship that I did. Um, I was able to connect with a lot of people who have the condition that I do. So that was really great because uh, I, I found myself being able to relate to people on this for the first time ever. And being able to talk to someone who has gone through it is so helpful and makes you not feel alone, right? Because for the longest time, and even still with my medicines that I take, I, I feel alone sometimes. But when I know that there's other people in the community that I've met through the HAEA it helped me feel like, okay, there's other people going through what I'm going through and, and I'm not alone in this struggle, really. That's interesting that you've done so much in the HAE community, but you have not met anyone in person who uh, is also diagnosed with HAE. Um, recent events in the world have made it really hard to do in-person events, but we're slowly getting back to that. And I'm excited to announce that the HAEA is hosting um, our national summit in person this summer. It will be in July in Orlando, Florida. There's information available on our website. Um, and this will be the largest gathering in the U.S. of individuals diagnosed with HAE and caregivers, physicians, and researchers. Um, it's a great opportunity to meet others as well as learn a lot more about what's going on in the HAE space. Yeah, I definitely would like to attend that. I was diagnosed during the pandemic. So I think that that could have also played a big part in why. And I also think being diagnosed later in life is a challenge as well um, because I, I just started learning about all these resources pretty recently. Absolutely. Um, are there any other tips you would like to give to anyone that might be in your position that's trying to learn and advocate for themselves? Yeah, I mean, I think really being open and honest as well, something that has been a little uncomfortable for me, but ultimately I found a pretty good support system is sharing about my HAE at work. Um, my husband has been a really helpful support system as well. And, you know, a lot of people don't really understand what it is, but a lot of people also want to understand what it is. So being able to sit down and I've used my ER toolkit um, to show people what it is and explain what I deal with has been really great because a lot of people have voiced that they want to be supportive I think it's also important to know that sometimes people aren't going to understand or they're not going to know how to support or they might not want to work to understand. And that's OK, too. 
I think for me, something I've had to accept is not everyone is going to get it and be able to support and that's okay. But I haven't let that stop me from wanting to advocate for myself. And in that, I've found people who do want to support and be understanding and work with me. So that's definitely something to keep in mind as well on this journey for all of us who have this. This is definitely a very challenging condition to understand if you've not experienced it, especially as you mentioned early on when you were having a lot of abdominal attacks and GI issues. Uh, those are things that others can't really see. So they can't they can't physically see what you're going through to understand um, what it is. Uh, so finding the, the people that understand and have that support is absolutely um, challenging and very important to do. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think the aspect of you don't look sick has definitely come up. I grew up with siblings who also have chronic illnesses that are not visible. So fortunately for me, even though they don't have HAE, they were able to totally be supportive from the beginning because they know that it's not something that you have to see for you to be suffering. So I do have people in my life that understand that. And I've also been able to get other people on board. I think that coming up with a way to explain it to people and kind of getting ideas from other people in the community on how to explain it has also been helpful. So kind of thinking through a one or two sentence response to give people when they ask is also something I would think is beneficial for people who have HAE. Excellent. One other question I had for you, uh, you had mentioned about how you manage your HAE at work. Could you give some pointers to our listeners about how to talk to your boss about what is HAE or, or um, how you might be handling that with work? Yeah, I think when you get to a place where you feel comfortable enough, and for a lot of us with HAE, we can't even really take that much time, I don't think, to get to that place because it is critical that we share this with the people we work with. But when you feel relatively comfortable, I would say being open and honest and sharing the condition you have, I think that the ER toolkit is a really helpful thing to use as guidance. And also just saying, you know, I think that we should keep this on hand in case of an emergency. I think sharing with people how this can be a life-threatening condition is really important. Now, in the past, I've had jobs almost not really understand or not really totally empathize with me. And it was pretty frustrating and isolating in that time. And I also think, you know, if you have the flexibility, finding a workplace that does support and align with you on this or finding someone at your workplace who can help advocate for you is really important. And I know that that is a privilege that I have had now where I've left the job that I didn't feel supported me. And I found one that I got really lucky to find that they are very supportive. So I know that that's not always a possibility, but if it is really try to find a workplace that will support you in this. I now am at a workplace where my HR manager 
offered to sit down with me, showed interest in our condition, and she actually keeps an ER toolkit at her desk and she keeps my emergency medicine at her desk. So I um, felt a little uncomfortable at first advocating for myself and saying, hey, you know, I have this condition and I, I would like to talk to you about it. But I was met with my now work place. They met me with a lot of empathy and they wanted to understand. And so I think explaining the importance of our condition and how it can potentially be life-threatening is a really great way to let people know how serious it is. I also think for on-demand medication, if you have that, asking if we can keep it on hand is another thing that I would give people the advice to do. Um, so I've, I've been re really fortunate with my new workplace in doing that. And I think that just being very open and honest, even though it's scary, is the way that I have done that. It, it feels uncomfortable at first, but it is an important condition that I, I know people need to be educated on. So that's kind of my advice. I, I hope that was helpful. <laughs> I believe that was absolutely, absolutely helpful as, you know, it is a tough conversation, but when you're not having that conversation, you're forcing uh, your employer to fill in the blanks. Um, I remember before I had any treatments, I had a lot of attacks and often I would end up having my attacks close to the weekends. So I'd be missing Fridays or Mondays. And at that time I was in my early twenties. So with my boss filling in the blanks, why my weekends always got a little bit longer, probably wasn't the best thing for me. Um, so once, once he got to understand what was actually going on, um, it made it, it made things a lot easier for me missing that time. Uh, so I definitely agree with being open and honest and, and making sure that they have a plan. You'd also mention the ER toolkits. Uh, it's a great resource that the HAEA has available that can be ordered uh, free through our website. Um, and the HAEER toolkits have a lot of great information and resources in there that give a, a great overview of what the condition is, some of the treatments that are available. Um, there's some tools in there for education. Um, and, and also a really nice patient guidebook that kind of walks through the whole condition. Uh, so a great resource that's that's free and, and easy to obtain. I want to switch gears just a little bit. You've talked a little bit about your treatment. And I know you've worked with your allergist to get tested and diagnosed. And you've mentioned that you're, you've got a treatment plan now. Were you at actively involved with your doctor on creating that treatment plan so that it was what worked best for you? Yeah, I will say I was as actively involved as someone who was just learning about the condition could be. I was given a few options and my, my doctor kind of talked through some options that he knew were treatments that were of varying degrees of effectiveness. And he asked about this one. I did some research on it and we came to an agreement. But I was trusting in him mostly to tell me what my options were. So I think that I was involved, but I leaned, I leaned on him as a resource to tell me, you know, what he felt the best options were. And then from there we discussed together. That sounds like a great way to do that. And I think the doctor knows a lot of you know, how 
how his experiences have been working with other patients and their experiences with different treatments, uh, what works best for what type of lifestyle or how comfortable you are with the route of administration. So having those conversations with your doctor, they can really help guide you to what may be the best fit for you. Yeah, I agree. I think the whole process, especially as someone who didn't have anyone else that I knew that had HAE was really overwhelming. And I feel that it happened pretty quickly. It was like years of trying to find answers. And then I had my answer and I had to get on a treatment. Well, I didn't have to get on a treatment, but it was the best case for me to get on a treatment. And so it was a lot of decision-making in a short period of time. So it was overwhelming. So having someone who kind of narrowed down my options for me was was really helpful. All right. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I just have another follow-up question that kind of popped into my head. Um, you had talked a little bit about some of the information that you had found uh, with the HAEA and the website and some of the resources that are available. Could you talk a little bit about the importance of having that resource available when you were newly diagnosed and maybe some of the programs uh, that you participated in? Yeah, I think that my favorite one that I've talked about a lot already is that ER toolkit. It brings me peace of mind to have that in my house and at work and carried around with me because I know even if I were in a situation where I couldn't fully speak for myself. I have something that has concrete evidence of exactly what this is. I also think that the social media that the HAEA has is very helpful. That's where I found out about a lot of resources. And I also think that the social media accounts for the HAEA have empowered me to share about my condition online as well. So it's really been a nice experience seeing my friends and people I'm close with react to the condition I have. And I wouldn't have even thought to post about it or share about it if I hadn't come across the social media accounts for both the HAEA and the HAEA youth page. So that's definitely a resource because social media is something that we all use. And, you know, when I log on there and I see a fact about HAE or a resource, a webinar, anything, then I find that it's it adds to me not feeling alone because even though I haven't, like I said, met someone in person, I am curating my social media feed to show things that do relate to me. So I see people's comments and the information on there and, and that's a really helpful resource. Thank you for, for sharing that and, and for all of the hard work that you've done with the HAEA. Um, we appreciate you joining us for this podcast today and sharing a bit about your HAE journey. Thank you so much for letting me have a platform to share about my journey. And I appreciate talking with you today. You are very welcome. Thank you for joining us today, Kayla. And I look forward to seeing you at the National Summit this summer. I can't wait. Hopefully I see a lot of people there. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to the HAE Speaks podcast. I would like to send a huge thank you to the HAEA, as well as BioCrist Pharmaceuticals, Calvista Pharmaceuticals, and Takeda for sponsoring the 2023 HAE Speaks podcast series. I would also like to thank Michael G for the music and Michael C for the podcast editing. 
please click the subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform so you can be notified when a new podcast becomes available. For more information about the HAE Speaks podcast, or if you would like to connect with the HAE community and gather more information about HAE, please visit haea.org. Also, you can follow the HAEA on social media within Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at HAEA. Also, check out the HAEA youth-created and produced podcast series called Beyond HAE. Thank you again for listening to the HAE Speaks podcast. Have a great day. Thank you.